Good morning. I'll be reading from Romans chapter 8, which can be found on page 916 of the Church Bibles. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, rather The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also Share in his glory. Our second reading is Galatians chapter 3, which can be found on page 944 of your church Bible. Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is, ma- is there male or and female. For you all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent his spirit, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Well, good morning, everyone. We haven't met. My name's James Lewis. I'm the Senior Assistant Minister, and uh, my joy this morning is to be looking at these amazing passages together, uh, and so I'd love for you to join with me as we pray and ask God to uh, make things clear to us and help our hearts and wills be changed for his glory. So uh, will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you so much for the privilege and honour it is to be able to sit so openly and freely uh, and read our Bibles and hear you speak in the power of your Spirit. And so we ask that you continue to do that again today. Uh, Please help us to grasp and understand all the good things that you have poured out on us in Jesus Christ. 
that we would be able to live with the joy and freedom of the sons of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in the uh, fourth and second last week of our series on the Holy Spirit, uh, He Who Brings Life. And today uh, we're going to see that the Spirit brings uh, life to us by speaking deep within us of our wonderful identity in Jesus Christ. So I've been thinking a little bit about identity over the last uh, few weeks. And uh, as I was doing that, I was fascinated to read uh, this interview by Arsene Wenger. Arsene Wenger uh, has just celebrated 20 years as the manager of Arsenal Football Club. Um, Now, when you know uh, that the average lifespan, the average tenure of a football manager in England is just over a year, uh, to make 20 years uh, is a pretty impressive achievement. Uh, And so, of course, the interviewer was asking about what he's going to do when it all comes to an end, when he retires. And he said, I'm terrified of retirement. I've just been captured by football. I've spent my life on football. What what am I going to do when I retire? And then he said this. He said, if there's a God, one day I'll go and meet him. And he'll say, do you want to come in? What have you done with your life? And I'll say to him, I tried to win football games. And he'll say, is that all you've done with your life? And I'll say, it's not as easy as it looks. (laughs) It's fascinating, isn't it? There's an identity issue going on there. When when football has been his centre, his passion, his focus, what am I going to do when I retire? What else do I say to God other than I tried to win football games? So let me ask you, what's your identity? What's your identity? Like, what's your solid ground when all else is sinking sand? What's your light when all other lights are going out? What's your centre when the world is falling apart? The reason I ask is that in our busy, frenetic lives, it's so easy just to roll on and on and on and not give that question much thought. Or to build our identity on things, the wrong things. So when the storms of life come, we have no solid ground to lean on. We have no light to guide us. We have no centre to hold everything together. And so there was this brilliant little moment at uh, Chapel Lane, our evening service, last week in Question Time. Uh, One of our guys, Andrew, uh, in Question Time, put up his hand and he said, the Spirit applies the Word of God to my life. I know that. I I can't do that on my own strength. I can't get through the week on my own strength. I rely upon God's gift of the Spirit every day. That's just a soundbite from Andrew. Just a little snapshot. And, and yet you get, don't you? You get, get a real sense of a deep, grounded identity. So where does that come from? Where does that come from? We saw it in Galatians 4 a moment ago. I don't know if you noticed. Uh, I'd love to have that open in front of you. Uh, Galatians is a book written to uh, a church in modern-day Turkey, a church that started out well but had lost its way, lost its identity. And so the Apostle Paul writes to them to call them back to their centre, to call them back to their identity in Jesus. Um, and he says of, in chapter 4, verse 4, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. There's our amazing, wonderful new identity. We've been adopted as sons of God. Now, that's massive. And so we need to take 
just a few moments to kind of unpack that, to tease that apart so we understand it. So I've listed out a few uh, things on the outline if you're following along, and I'll say them if, uh, if you don't have an outline. Um, first thing we need to understand about being adopted as sons is that we were adopted, not born as sons. So we weren't born into God's family. No, the Bible says we were strangers and outsiders, uh, aliens, foreigners. Um, and, and so if you look back in Galatians chapter 1, you see that very clearly, verse 3. So just turn a page back. Galatians 1 verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then uh, verse uh, 5 says as well in chapter 4 that we were redeemed. You see, we weren't born into the family. We were redeemed. We were purchased. We had to be rescued out of our sin, out of our, this present evil age, as, as the Bible says, uh, at great cost to God, at the cost of his son Jesus on the cross. So we weren't born into the family. We were adopted. We were brought in. And secondly, it's our status, not our DNA that's changed. So this is not kind of like Eastern mysticism or a New Age spirituality. It's not saying that we get absorbed into the Godhead, that we become sort of little gods ourselves doing our own little thing. Now that's sin, not adoption. Um, And that's what Adam and Eve tried to do in the garden, wasn't it? They tried to set themselves up as little gods. We'll decide right and wrong for ourselves. We'll decide good and evil for ourselves. No, no, we were adopted And it's not our DNA that's changed, it's our status and privilege. Because verse 5 says that we might receive adoption to sonship. It's our status, not our DNA that's changed. And and thirdly, this is not about gender, but privilege. Sometimes when we talk about being adopted as sons, as the Bible says, people say, well, what about women? Does that mean that they become men? We need to understand that in the ancient world, uh, women had almost no rights Uh, They certainly weren't allowed to inherit the estate. They were not heirs. But when God pours out his blessing upon us in Jesus Christ, he does that equally to all of us. So we saw that at the end of chapter 3 in Galatians, that there is now neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're all equally heirs. I heard a story just this morning uh, about a church in New York where uh, some of those Western secular people get very cranky about the whole adoption of sons. It's very sort of sexist. And, and so uh, a preacher had spoken on that and someone had come up and given him a hard time on it. And then an Iranian lady came up like afterwards and said, you mean I'm a son? You mean I get to inherit? I'm an heir? You see, when we are adopted as sons of God, it means that we are all heirs in the same way that the church is called the bride of christ when it's full of men and women so our adoption as sons means that we are if you like male and female sons and heirs fourth thing being adopted as sons is better than our experience of human fathers very often we don't grasp how amazing this is because we're not that excited about having god as our father perhaps because we hear in the western world of so many absent fathers or the sitcoms uh, ridicule fathers like Homer Simpson and the family guy and perhaps some of us have had terrible fathers 
abusive or just emotionally absent. And even the really good fathers make mistakes, let us down, and then one day they die and leave us. And so perhaps we're not all that excited about having God as our father. But listen to this. Only in Christianity does the God of the universe become your father. All other religions, all other spiritualities say that you can worship, you can serve, you can then experience and and enjoy and, and, and come into the presence of the divine at some level. But only in Christianity does the God of the universe become your father. And this was God's big purpose in sending Jesus into the world. Have a look at Galatians 4 again with me. It says, What I'm saying is that as long as, verse 1, as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, so he's given an illustration, now he's applying it to us. When you, we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Do you see God's big purpose in sending Jesus into the world? Why did God send Jesus? Was it to forgive our sins? Yes. Was it to set us free? Yes. Was it to bring us into eternal life with him? Yes, but there's something bigger than that. It's in verse 5 that we would be adopted as sons. God's purpose in sending Jesus wasn't just to forgive us, but to adopt us into his family as sons and heirs. So what does that mean? Well, it means that we are more blessed than we could ever imagine. See, if you're a Christian, you know that at one time you were locked up, imprisoned in sin and shame and guilt, but Jesus set you free, forgiven you, washed you clean. You, You know that. You know that Jesus has washed you clean and set you free. But too often that's all we see. Too often we think that all that God has done is he unlocked our prison cell and he led us out onto the pavement and he said, here's your pardon. Now go, live your life. Too often that's all we see. We think that God has just taken us from the prison to the pavement when in fact he's taken us, listen to this, from the prison to the palace. We are sons of God. A friend of mine told me a story uh, that so beautifully illustrates this and it stayed with me for years. Um, It's about Ed and Fran who owned a farm in Parks, New South Wales. Uh, they'd married much later in life and so were unable to have children. So they decided to adopt. And after they'd been through the long and complicated process, it was finally time uh, for them to go and pick up their new son from the orphanage in Thailand, Jimmy. Now, Jimmy, being an orphan in Thailand, uh, had limited prospects. Uh, he was faced, as he left the orphanage, a long, hard hours of hard work, very little job security and probably an early grave. But now, as Jimmy is adopted by Ed and Fran, he has a new identity, a new name, a new family. And one day he will inherit the farm, which is worth millions. It's an amazing story, isn't it? It's a powerful story. But here's the problem. 
It'd be so easy just to leave it there. To say, oh, that, that was a great story. That was a great reminder, a great illustration. I understand more about what it is to be adopted. Do you see the problem? It's just information. It's just an idea. So, so let's rejoin Jimmy's story. He's living in parks in New South Wales, um, enjoying his new family, his new home, and his new grandparents come to visit their new grandson. And so as they're sitting there in the lounge room, Ed and Fran put on the video they took while they're in Thailand. And Jimmy's sitting on the floor. And then images of the orphanage came up on the screen. And when Jimmy saw that, he launched himself into Fran's lap and clung onto her for dear life and said, please, please do not send me back there. Ed and Fran had adopted Jimmy. He was always going to be their son. They would never send him back, but he hadn't grasped that. It wasn't real for him. It was just an idea. It was just information. It hadn't gone deep within him and taken root in him. That's what we need. We don't need this morning another reminder, some encouraging words, some more information about what it means to be adopted by God. No, we need it to go deep within us. Deep within us. We need to live each day in the joy and freedom of the sons of God. How? How does that happen? Friends, this is one of the wonderful works of the Spirit of God. He applies our sonship deep within us. We saw that in Romans chapter 8 that we read before, and I'd love for us to have a look at that now. So uh, will you turn with me there? Keep something in Galatians 4, because we'll be back there very briefly later on. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. Romans 8, verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, you know, a witness in court testifies. They say, I saw it. I heard it. It's true. So what does it mean in verse 16 when it says that the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God? It means that the Spirit gives us what we need. Not more information, not another reminder, but He speaks deep within us, in our hearts, our souls, our spirits, deep within us, that we are children of God. So how do you know if that's happened for you? If the Spirit has testified with your spirit that you are a child of God? Because I reckon if, if we kind of did a line up here along around the room and I went around and asked each of you that question, we get a whole range of different answers, right? As the Spirit test, And, and some, some of us would say, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I think he has, but I'm not sure what it would look like. Well, there's two ways that we see in Romans 8 that the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. The first is that the Spirit leads us to make war on our sin. Now that sounds strong, doesn't it? And it needs to be, because it is. See, Romans 8 reminds us that there are two realities in life. Verse 13 talks about life according to the flesh. And it says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Do you know that? I fear in the Western world we are too comfortable with our sin too relaxed about our sin, too easygoing about our sin. But sin is deadly. It will kill you. 
it will destroy you. But there is another reality. There is another option. It's there in verse 13. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. You will live forever. You will have eternal life. So, we get eternal life by putting to death the misdeeds of the body. No. No, no. You get eternal life because God has given it to you as a gift in Jesus Christ. You get eternal life because you are a child of God, a son of God. But one of the marks, one of the family likenesses of the children of God is that we are led by the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, verse 13 says, If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. If we are led by the Spirit, we put to death the misdeeds of the body, we make war on our sin. What does that look like? Well, it doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you never sin but it means that you make war on your sin. You don't make peace with your sin. You don't enjoy your sin or be okay with your sin or be comfortable with your sin. No, led by the Spirit, we hate our sin. We want to kill our sin. I hate how selfish I am sometimes. I hate some of the awful things that go through my mind. I hate how I try to use God to get the things that I want in life. You know, I would never hate that on my own. On my own, I would get comfortable with that. I'd make excuses for that. I'd be okay with that. I'd give up on the battle. But the children of God are led by the Spirit of God to hate their sin, to want to make war on their sin, to put to death the misdeeds of the body. That's what the Spirit does. How does He do that in our lives? Well, He does this amazing thing. It's there on the outline. The Spirit leads us to delight in our Heavenly Father. Verse 15 says that. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. We cry, Abba, Father, the first word, Abba, is an Aramaic word, which means father. So, it's sort of like father, father there, which is a bit repetitive, right? So, so why did Paul repeat himself? Well, the reason is that this is how Jesus spoke to his heavenly father. He cried out, Abba, father. And, and actually, the word Abba means more than father. It means something more intimate and personal. It means daddy, papa. That's how Jesus spoke to his father. And here's the brilliant thing. Make sure you don't miss this. Come back to Galatians 4 with me. Galatians 4 verse 6. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. That's amazing, isn't it? Did you see the flow there, what what God has done? Because he's adopted us as sons, he sent the spirit of his son into our hearts so that we cry, Abba, Father. God is so good, isn't he? God not only adopts us as sons, he gives us the spirit of his son so that we would experience and know him as our father. Do you see how good God is to us? 
He not only saves us, He wants us to know that we're saved. He not only loves us, He wants us to know how dearly loved we are. He not only adopts us, He gives us the Spirit of His Son so that we experience and enjoy what it is to be the sons of God. That's why Galatians 4, Romans 8 says that the Spirit leads our hearts, our spirits to cry out, Abba, Father. Not, not as a chant, not like Abba Father, Abba Father, Abba Father, Abba Father. Not, not a chant, but a humble, childlike cry. From our souls, our hearts crying out, Daddy, Papa, I need you. Help me. Verse 15 says that we are not slaves but sons. The Spirit replaces the fear of a slave towards the master with the love of a son towards their father. See, a slave obeys their master out of fear, don't they? Never sure whether they'll be beaten, whipped, cast aside, sold, executed. And, and you can get a lot of behaviour conformity. You can get people to behave through fear. Um, it's how dictatorships work. If you don't do what you're told... If you protest, we will arrest you, beat you, imprison you, execute you. It's how religion works. Do what you're told or God will punish you. But friends, verse 15, we did not receive a spirit that makes us a slave again. So we live in fear. Rather, the spirit brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Spirit stirs up in our hearts, our inner being, our delight, our love for our Heavenly Father. So that putting to death the misdeeds of the body, making war on our sin, is not just about don't do that, stop doing that, don't go there, don't watch that. But as we dig deep in God's Word, the Spirit comes alongside us. He works deep within us and He shows us what our Heavenly Dad is like. He gives us new desires, new Longings. We want to be like our heavenly dad. I've uh, struggled a lot with impatience in my years. Impatient with God, impatient with other people, impatient with myself, which led me to be critical and pushy and aggressive at times. But as I've read God's word, I've seen just how patient God is, how gentle he is, how steadfast he is and I want to be like him I want to love Jesus and love people I want to be patient like God that's what the spirit does he stirs up in us our affections our love towards our heavenly father so that we want to be like him friends isn't God good he because he's adopted us as sons, he gives us the spirit of his son so that we would be able to live out each day the joy and freedom as the sons of God. So let me ask you today, are you living like a slave or a son? See, a son doesn't relate to God like a slave. A slave is trying to jump through hoops for God, get their performance in line so they don't get punished. But a son knows that they are loved and they serve God out of joy. So are you living like a slave or are you living like a son? 
A slave is judgmental and critical, a, a gossip. They, they need to tear down other people to make themselves look better because, well, I might not be great, but at least I'm better than those other slaves. But a son knows that they are secure and loved and so they can just serve and not make it about themselves. A slave is defensive and hates to be corrected because their identity is all about performance and if they've not performed, then what are they? But a son loves to hear God in his word, rebuke, correct, grow them. They love to respond in faith and repentance. So are you living like a slave or like a son? If, you're, if you know that you're living as a, as a slave or you're just not sure, today is a great day to sort all that out. In a moment, as we transition to communion, there'll be a time of quiet just for you to reflect on your life, where you're at with God, and in the quietness of your own heart, to talk to Him about where your life's at. To bring before Him all those things. And you think, I may not have the right word. That's fine, just pour out your heart to Him. And then there'll be a a prayer of confession, which is a great way to capture our response back to God and ask Him to be our good Heavenly Father again. So we're going to do that in a moment. I'm going to lead in prayer. Father God, we thank you just for the wonderful news that we've heard again today that you love us so much that you didn't just set us free, but you adopted us as your sons. And because we are your sons, you sent the Spirit of your Son into our hearts. And by him we cry, Daddy, Papa, not disrespectful but with great joy and intimacy with you as our heavenly father and so we ask for each person here today that they would know that they are saved that they are loved that they have been adopted as your son and so be able to live in the freedom and joy as the sons of god we ask this in jesus mighty name amen